everybody, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Big Footy Bombers podcast. I am your host, Bonser34, and I'm joined again this evening by the prosecutor. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Living in this lockdown life, which, um, you know what, if we keep winning games, it won't be as long as it seems. Yeah, we are in lockdown. And, and Mr. Boltitude, are you actually in lockdown still, or are you are you, are you Victorian-based like we are? Sure am. Yeah, I'm locked down. Well, it's not much fun for us all at the moment, but as uh, as you just said, Pross, we did get the win today, so we'll dive straight into the game. Now, I don't know about you boys, but it was a pretty frustrating game for me, Pross. Um, we, we got the win, that was good, and, and as I, I think I was just saying to Mr. B earlier um, that I'd much rather be winning ugly than losing pretty, but it would be nice if we'd uh, managed to you know turn up from the start of the game instead of halfway through the third quarter today. Well, I throw it back to um, Fast and Furious back in 2001 here. But uh, it doesn't matter if it's by a point or 10 goals. Winning's winning. But to tell you what, it certainly didn't feel like it for a long time today. Um, it was really frustrating. It seemed like just we weren't on for the first half. But I guess that's the measure of a good side or a side that's on its way up is they can grind out those bad wins. Yeah, and you're exactly right there. And I think one of the more pleasing aspects for me is that if this had been the estimate of previous seasons, Mr. B, we probably would have lost this game because North came with an intensity that we just did not match at all for, for probably nearly the whole game, really. I mean, late in that third, early in that last week, probably matched them for the intensity. But other than that, I reckon they they went harder and faster and more frantic at the ball than we did for large parts of the, today's game. Yeah, Absolutely. We would have definitely lost that game last year or year before. Strangely, I don't know if it's lockdown just beating the soul out of me or reaching some sort of enlightenment. I was pretty calm watching that match. I didn't have a daily or quarterly check-in from Mrs. B to see if my heart was still beating at a normal rate. But yeah, North really came at us and we didn't have much of a response for, you know, you said the first half and then and got our act together in the, in the third, which is quite funny because I, if I recall the last time we played, North, uh, the third quarter was really poor from us, apart from a really dominant game. So I guess we can kind of mash that together and have a complete game between the two of them. But yeah, I don't understand what happened. Maybe I feel like we're always lethargic after a bit of a break. I don't think we're one of those sides that do it well. So it didn't surprise me. And yeah, North just kind of brought the heat and didn't have an answer until a bit later. That's not much I can say. Pross, I think for me, what sort of happened in that third quarter was it really felt like Parrish, Merritt and Heppel just went, we're not going to lose this one. We're going to start dragging this side over the line because I think Parrish had 11 touches in that third quarter. He had 14 up to halftime, then 11 in the third. Uh, Merritt was fairly similar. Uh, Heppel now went back and kicked the goal in the second. I believe he kicked his captain's goal after that 50-meter penalty. But he also just started to really insert himself across that half-back line and dominate the possession. Uh, And then obviously... Stringer got on the roll in the last. But I, I think, again, we found ourselves relying very heavily on, on the, the combination of Parrish and Merritt in the middle and, and Heppel down back to marshal the troops. Yeah, we've really got that core of um, about six to eight players now. And as you mentioned, Parrish and Merritt are really at the forefront of that. And I thought Heppel coming back as well just really slipped in there nicely and um, gave us some fantastic leadership down back, especially when North were pressing for that first half. And then it allowed, I guess, some of our more 
influential type of players such as Jake Stringer than to have that platform in the last quarter to really take the game by the scruff of the neck. So overall pleasing. And I mean, there's a lot of room there for some of our auxiliary players like um, Archie Perkins, for instance, had moments. Um, and Peter Wright as well, I thought had a really under the radar influential game as well so it's great to have that sort of core platform stability there so that our other role players can then step up when the time's right yeah i'm actually really glad you mentioned peter right there because because i'll be honest looking through the thread of the mbv votes that that the po- that we're giving on our board i was very surprised to see stringer getting the five votes on the games i don't know about you mr b but i thought that peter Wright was our best on by a fair margin when we were down and down and out really for the first half he he was the one that was that i thought was still just running around clunking putting in big efforts i mean he ended up having 20 disposals kicked three goals had seven marks had 10 hit outs he even managed to lay himself a tackle which was which is always uh always nice for the big man to do we obviously hope to see a few more out of him but i just thought his his effort was just much much better than anything we'd seen this year i mean he had seven score involvements he kicked three once there's four there but the other thing that i loved from him today was his 88 percent time on ground he did not go off for the majority the vast majority of that game that seems to me to be a very long time for a big man to be on the ground i would have expected that figure to be you know low to mid 70s yeah kudos to 2mp i mean we were just discussing this last week in terms of forward line answers to forward line problems and i think he definitely put a firm answer for us today and as here you're kind of right as far as a man with a with a name two meter peter can fly under a radar he managed to do that a little bit today and put before this really quiet game but amazing game i looked at his stats at the end and was very well pleased with them and you're right he seemed to present all the time and he was working hard and i didn't see his um time on ground until you mentioned it so yeah i, I just didn't think he was on for that long i know he he did quite a bit in the ruck but yeah when he was up forward it was working hard bringing it to ground well but also clunking marks just good because i think that's something that sometimes gets slips from this game so i was really happy with peter bring it on and uh, i mean i think we all forget how young he is as well and how i think one of the commentators said it today he he missed a fair chunk of development for whatever reason at gold coast he wasn't playing a lot of games so to see him finally string a bit of, of a consistent season together and growing confidence and see what he can do i think i'd like to think that the only way for peter Wright is up is i mean i don't know how much upward movements that man can make but hey bring it on he was, to me, apart from Jake Stringer's last quarter cameo, he, he was at our only shining light, really, up up forward, I thought, today. I thought Hooker, look, he battled well, but again, he struggled at times. Tipper was, was non-existent. We didn't really see him. Dev Smith kicked a goal, but again, other than giving away silly free kicks, we didn't see a lot from him. So our forward line left a lot to be desired today, and, and I think part of that is, is, of course, the fact that we lost Harry Jones, and it sort of does indicate uh, just, just how important he is to the side at the moment, if that's the sort of impact him missing has, and it was great to see Pete step in and sort of fill the, fill the hole. Yeah, I guess the first thing to take out of that is just how much confidence that the coaching staff have in him to be able to fill that hole immediately you sort of look at that and you think okay maybe um you know nick bryan might come in or jake stringer will sort of forsake that midfield time just to play as a key forward but um the coaching staff really put the the faith in him and he really sort of delivered in spades as he has on a couple of occasions this year and i think we mentioned it probably after might have been the Anzac Day game on the podcast. But um, 
you know, hopefully this starts to become more and more the norm and we can see a real sort of breakout season next year for Peter Wright in terms of consistency. So we have been fairly positive so far, but but we will just touch on the first half, Mr. B, because for me, it was a very disappointing half. I mean, Adelaide last week, we won by 10 goals, and I think you and I both agreed last week it was, it was an ugly 10-goal win, but, you know, we'd take it. And it just seemed that we didn't lift our intensity at all to match North Melbourne. I mean, we had to have known they were going to be coming off a massive high after knocking off the Eagles. But for whatever reason, our players seemed to keep the same intensity that they had last week and it seemed to assume that that was just going to be enough. And the commentators mentioned it multiple times, just how easy North were chipping the ball from one end to the other without any pressure. And I don't think you can put that down to game plan because I certainly don't think the truck's game plan was for us to let North take uncontested marks from one end of the field to the other. I think it comes down to the players and whether or not that's the fact that they had to travel and, you know, they're, they're out of their comfort zone. And I mean, North obviously are too, but at the same time, it affects everyone differently. Or, or do you think, so do you think it was that, or do you think maybe it was just pure laziness? They just, they just expected somebody else to do the work for them. Like I said, we had a large break and they didn't. I think sometimes you, I don't know, I think you tend to fire up when those odds are stacked against the, against you. As you said, they had to, player they took out in the west coast and had to fly on the on the cusp to to come to queensland so that might put the fire in their tail and go right we're going to prove everyone we could still compete and i think maybe we just thought we could walk it in with north given the result we had against them last last time we played and obviously that was not the case and, and i felt that kind of this week that north were going to bring it because they really played with intensity and and you're i don't know what what it was on that on that first half that chip away because that's not how North were playing a lot last week. I know it's a silly name, but they weren't even like that first half. I was watching them; they were playing that almost that West Coast chip away game, and it wasn't very shin boner, so to speak. It was no intensity at all from us, but also, I mean, they made their their pressure look good in comparison. But when I was watching, they're not applying that much pressure yet. They're still controlling the game and and, and having it on their terms. So I don't know what was going on, and it was very frustrating to watch. Do you think, Prost, that it also came down to our poor foot skills? I mean, I think Laverde, Mason Redmond, amongst others, were pretty average with their foot skills coming out of the back half. And and funnily enough, Laverde's um, metres gain for the day is minus nine, which, you know, in isolation doesn't mean a hell of a lot, but it is a little bit of a quirk to see a defender who, who in theory, should be kicking the ball forward end up with, with, with a negative nine. But do you think our foot skills were below what, we, what we've come to expect in recent weeks? Well, I think there's some um, credence to the theory that when you come off a soft win the week before, it's almost like you've had that sort of training run type of intensity and quite often teams can get found out the next week. And I think we had a little bit of the case of that today where um, I guess for that first half, we were just treating as a training run and didn't really quite have that same sort of intensity that we probably needed, especially with the level of performance that North really brought to us. So uh, it's not surprising in some aspects that the kicking was down to begin with. And as you mentioned with Laverde, look, I'm not too fussed about it because to be honest, He's not exactly a, des- a designated kicker. So if he does have the negative there, I'm at least sort of inclined to be grateful that he's taking safe options and not taking the uh, the game on per se when he's probably not the player that you want to do it. So it'll be interesting to then see, I guess, how we come out next week and see, you know, if there's a little bit uh, just how strong that sort of um, indicator is of, you know, coming off a high-intensity game that the skills really translate straight into the first quarter of the next week. But, um, I mean, overall, yeah, sure, the kicking was down. But given the performance of the week before, you know, I'm willing to let it slide and see what happens for the next week. 
Yeah, and I think we're all willing to let it slide as, lo- as long as we keep winning. I think if uh, if we actually manage to lose today, I think I think the tone of this podcast would be extremely different to what it is now. But obviously, that's always the case, no matter what round it is. One other player I do want to talk about, Mr. B, is somebody that I think has probably slipped under the radar a bit. And I do use the words slipped under the radar very loosely because Jordan Ridley, we know, is a star. But it seems to me this year that with, with Redmond finding career best form, Hind coming in, Heppel going back and dominating, Laverde and Stewart being the, the breakout players that we never saw coming down there, we seem to just be almost taking Ridley for for granted. And it feels like we haven't really mentioned him a hell of a lot this year. But GT was good again today. I mean, you know, again, he led the side for intercept possessions with 80. He had had 429 meters gained, which which is excellent for a man of his his ability. He had 16 kicks, uh, five handballs, so he's mainly kicking rather than handballing, which I think we're all extremely pleased with, considering his his lethal boot and his ability to hit a target. Is it fair to say he's probably slipped under the radar a little bit this year? And also, would you have had him in the top, you know, four or five on the ground today? He has slipped under the radar a bit when you mentioned that. I thought he was one of the best on ground. I thought he was excellent last week too. Yeah, I think because we've got all these new toys in the defence, he might have taken a back seat because what he brings is excellent skills, but also what he brings isn't crazy exciting. I think when you've got Laverde, who's really turned his career around, and we're all loving that, and you've got Redmond, who's found his mongrel again, which everybody loves that. And then you've got Nick Hind who comes in and brings this dash that we thought we weren't going to have after McKenna and Saad's departure. So you're almost kind of left with Ridley doing Ridley things, which is really good stuff and high quality stuff. And maybe we've come to just accept it and it doesn't surprise us anymore now that we know what kind of player we have here. But I just want to say he's been doing really well. I don't want to forget about him or take him for granted because he's just that good. And I I think maybe we've just kind of, our expectations are just kept getting met with him. He's not doing anything amazing, but he's not doing anything bad. He's doing his role. So maybe that's why we're not talking about him enough. And, you know, the the back line's been gelling. I was was wanting to say off the back of that, there were a few funny things about defence, but for the most part, they were really good today. I really enjoyed, for, for, the, for the most part, their game had a lot of cohesion. That's really nice to watch when you kind of compare it to our forward line, which is kind of a bit ad hoc and it doesn't seem to be gelling as well. When you've got this, this well-oiled defence, it's really fun to watch. And I think Ridley's a really key cog in that. And I think all the others kind of revolve around his stability. Yeah, so Pros, I'll, I'll hand it to you as well about Ridley. Do, do you think my... Um comment that he's sort of slipped under the radar holds weight this season? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's a little bit of a um, victim of the, his own hype that he generated last year. I mean, to go from pretty much obscurity to, you know, a best and fairest winner at 25, 30 games or however many it was, it really was a magnet for um, plaudits to come in for him. And I think this year, while his performance hasn't dropped, I guess it's just kind of not as exciting anymore. And I mean, that's brilliant for us that he can still perform at this level and it's just being accepted as a new norm. So I reckon he'll be he'll feature very prominently again in our best and fairest this year. And I think that's when the real kudos will come for him again. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he will he will feature very highly. And it, it was it, he's only 22 years old, which is still just unbelievable to me. For a bloke that's only 22, he just looks like he's been on an AFL field now for the better part of five to six years. He just looks like an experienced 
campaigner that, that nothing seems to phase him. And because of his 20, because he did win that, that best and fairest after 26 games um, last year, it did start to feel, I think you're right, that, that his performance hasn't dropped, but maybe our expectations rose a little bit. Maybe he did become the victim of his own hype. And, and, you're, and you're right. He could very well win the best and fairest again this year. I think he'll have a lot more sterner challenges from, from Parrish and, and, and Merritt. But it would not be surprising to me at all if before he plays 50 games, he'll have two best and fairest under his belt. I wouldn't be surprised if his trajectory from here kind of went to a similar sort of level of performance, maybe about 5-10% better even next year. And that will be the type of year that he'll be an established player in the league now and that will start to generate that all-Australian hype and so on and so forth from the rest of the league again without necessarily being much better than he was this year. I think this is just really an establishing sort of year for him for his reputation for the next 5-10 years of his career. I agree with that with Pross. Um, he's kind of like consolidating his hard work from last year and backing it up with a really good work rate. And like you were saying, Bonds, it's just the way he plays and his skills belie his age and his and his amount of games played. But it's not just that. It's just the way he composes himself and conducts himself on the field. He's so calm and collected and he doesn't seem to get riled up a lot uh, and just kind of takes everything in his stride and, and works hard if he makes a mistake. And I, I really respect that about Ridley. And I know people were, I was quick to shut them down last year when they were saying in terms of future captains or leadership players that Ridley would come into conversation. I, I wasn't so sure back then because a lot of people base leadership off really good playing on field, which I think is one factor, but not one of the contributing factors to what you choose in a leader. Yes, make the example, but at the same time, there are other things. But I didn't see that from Ridley last year. I just saw really silky skills. But now I'm seeing his composure on the field and the way he, he keeps that back line in check. Yeah, I could see him not being a captain, but definitely see him rising to be a leader within the group in a few years' time. Yeah, I think you're exactly right there. I think his leadership skills are going to become invaluable to us if we are to go to the next level with this playing group. Now, we, we will just swing back to the other end of the field. And I've potentially downplayed him a little bit earlier already in the podcast because I said I was surprised that he got so many best on ground results because he, he really, apart from, the, I think, the, he won the first four clearances and then largely disappeared until probably the last quarter he kicked three. But Pross, Jake Stringer, again, just when we needed him to stand up and kick goals, he just came to the party and went, yep, no worries, boys, I've got this under control. And he just goes from strength to strength again for us this season. I think now he's on track for something like, you know, 45 goals for the year and, and averaging, you know, 16, 17 disposals, which is pretty bloody good return for for a bloke that, um, oh, oh, let's be honest, he, he doesn't have the greatest tank in the world. So so his burst play is, is probably the best we're going to see from him. It's fascinating that you look at the first sort of, um, let's say, a third of the season, and I guess there was a really good appreciation for the fact he was delivering, he was delivering consistency. He was playing, you know, as well as we probably would have liked. But then in the last five weeks, um, I crunched the numbers just after the game today, and he's taken his game to a level that, I mean, it's almost that um, there's that tag of Kmart Dusty that's gone around a little bit when it comes to players like himself and Jordan Degoy, um, where you have that sort of pipe dream of, you know, everything coming together, and he has like a Dustin Martin level of um, output. But the last five weeks, he's averaging um, about just under 24 disposals, a bit over six clearances, over 500 metres ga uh, per game, five tackles a game, and he's averaging 2.8 goals a game, I think it is. So his numbers have just gone through the absolute roof. And 
I hope this is something that's sustainable for the next sort of three to five years of his career. Because if it is, I tell you what, he's in the best handful of players in the game. And it's exciting to watch to have someone of that caliber in our team at the moment. Yeah, I don't know about you, Mr. B, but I'm struggling to recall an Essendon player that could turn it on like this when required for the last probably, oh, let's say, I don't know, 15 years. Because, I mean, James Heard, obviously, and I'm not at all suggesting that Jake's anywhere near Heard because he's absolutely not. But Heard, obviously, could just turn it on like a tap when we desperately needed him to. And it appears at the moment that Jake can do that you know, somewhat obviously to a, to a lesser impact, as, as I said, to compared to Heard. But has there been another player after, say, Heard that you can think of that has been able to stand up for us in the big moments like Stringer has, you know, especially this year? Nah, not really. I can't recall. Some players have had their individual moments. We could talk about Zaharakis in 2011, whatever year it was, Anzac Day. Even Waller's had those moments. But, I mean, Jake's been playing during that time, a lot of it. But I can't think of a player like like Stringer that we've had, who just seems to, like you said, turn it on, make a decision that they're going to factor the result of the game and make it happen. And it's such a good thing to see. And I love watching him play. I love this season. I just hope that there's a deal signed soon and he's he's playing with us because I think he wants to play with us. The way he's been putting it together, he, he wants to win matches and he wants to play for the Essendon Football Club. Uh, I, I hope I'm not wrong, but I think I'm right. Yeah, the only other player that I can think of in recent times who's had, I guess, even close to a period of like Jake's having at the moment is probably Dyson Heppel at the back end of 2014 from memory. I remember like there was a few games that he just dragged us over the line individually and he looked like being an absolute star of the competition as a midfielder. I mean, unfortunately, injuries have probably prevented that, but you know, it's been a long time between drinks since um, then and Jake, and even in, I think Jake's performances are topping that too. And to be honest, it's funny because at the same time, he's probably not getting the kudos that he actually deserves given the performances of Parrish and Merritt. He's really gone under the radar, which is surprising in some aspects, but he's a smoky for the All-Australian squad if he can um, continue this for the last five weeks of the season. I think you're exactly right about Heppel, and I'll just quickly touch on that because I do think that the we uh, at times forget just how good he was before the injuries sort of wrecked his body and, and turned him into probably the halfback that we're seeing now. But even then, he's still dominating, isn't he? So I, I think we do forget that Heppel was on track to become an absolute elite midfielder before, unfortunately, his body let him down. Frost, I think if we move forward and look to GWS next week, obviously the game will be at uh, 4.35 Saturday. It will be at Metricon. The AFL app still says Marvel, but um, it will definitely be at Metricon. We won't be coming back to Melbourne this week at all. And they have just lost. The Sirens just gone, so they did lose to Sydney by 26 points. No Toby Green, no Matt DeBoer, so Parrish and Merritt won't have him hanging off them in the midfield there. So oh, I think the midfield's probably going to be where, where the game's won or lost, um, because obviously GWS still have an amazing talent pool sitting in the midfield with you know, Taranto, Callum Ward, Hopper, uh, Jake, Josh Kelly, who did roll his ankle, so it'll be iffy. So, I mean, the midfield's the obvious battleground, but where else do you think the game could be won or lost for us um, next Saturday? Yeah, well, I guess firstly, hopefully, um, GWS take the conservative option with Josh Kelly, and um, as you mentioned, he was subbed out of the game tonight, so hopefully they um, give him the week off to heal up, and um, that's one less worry to worry about. But, uh, you know, to be honest, I reckon the ruck might be a interesting area, especially if... Um, you 
you know, Draper can have a game similar to how he did against Hawthorne. I guess the Ruck's been one area where GWS really hasn't had a strong foothold this year, and it might be an area where we can exploit them. Other than that, up forward, GWS typically can be a little bit interesting. It's um, Jesse Hogan, for the little that he has played this year, has always been a bit of a threat for them up forward. So he was back in the side this week, and he kicked at least a couple of goals until I last saw the scores. So hopefully our defence can contain him and... With Green gone as well, that really does stifle their forward line. But then equally as well, I think it obviously against North Melbourne, we managed to come up trumps up forward when it counted. But again, GWS are going to present tra- uh, challenges with a Harry Jones-less um, forward line, especially when we have some stationary targets such as Cal Hooker, who... M- let's be honest, isn't it quite as mobile as he was in previous years? So, I mean, overall, it's going to be a um, it's going to be an interesting game. And, I mean, it's a contrast of two teams as well when it comes to form. With Sydney ending up kicking about, I was like, I don't know exactly what it was in the end, but they had a nine-goal unanswered stretch during this game after GWS started on fire. And then, likewise, Essendon, after being lackluster for the first half, have um, come out and had a really good second half. So here's hoping that those sort of form lines um, translate into this game as well and we can get the four points in what really is an eight-point game. Yes, yeah, so they did kick nine in a row before uh, GWS managed to snatch one back. It's interesting you mentioned the ruck, though, because Flynn was also hobbling around a fair bit for them tonight. So I think he may struggle to get up. And, and Mumford is currently out injured. And I don't know his status, but if he doesn't get up and Flynn doesn't get up, it really does present an opportunity for Draper to start to dominate and really put his stamp on the game next Saturday. And and you're right, Jesse Hogan has been in relatively good form this year. And him and Himmelberg, I mean, they lost Jeremy Cameron, obviously, to, to Geelong, but him and Himmelberg still present very good targets and and I think we we sort of forget how good Jesse Hogan is as a footballer I mean if you remember back to when Danner was was having his career best season in in 2017 Jesse Hogan was step for step for him you know as, as the most exciting young forward prospect in the game and and there was a lot of people who, who thought he was going to be the next big thing as opposed to Danaher who obviously uh, we had our bias on at the time I just I, I just look at their forward line though and go without Toby Green I mean Lloyd is their next best small forward I, I think um, he keeps a couple today and he's all right but other than that they just I think they're going to struggle to, to score because they're going to need their midfield to kick goals and, and I don't think our midfield builders are as as soft defensively as they have been in previous years. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. B, and by all means, tell me that tell me that, that they still leak goals. But I think our midfield defensive work is, is an area we've improved on. So GWS, for me, doesn't hold much fear in terms of uh, scoring as such. But but it, it, as Pros said, it's going to be the other way where we have to work through their defense that I think we may struggle next Saturday. I agree with that in terms of our midfield being a bit more defensive. I've noticed in the last few rounds, players blocking and shepherding for each other. Stringers does that a lot. Waterman was doing that a bit today. Heppel was doing it. And Parrish and Merritt work together to get each other in the the best positions they can be. So I think that should hold their midfield in good stead. I think our our defence will hold up as well going further back with them uh, against their forwards. I, I 
struggled to think of some of the other forms. Bar like Himmelberg and Hogan. Now that I can't, you know, Toby Green's out, and you know, obviously Jez doesn't play for them anymore. So for us, I think we should defensively have them covered. I think where the, for us the game will be won is, is being able to convert inside entries into scoring. Uh, we haven't really done too well with that last few rounds. So if we can sharpen up the forward line a little bit and, and present a bit more, and, and hopefully our midfield can can get a bit more offensive and try and snap a few. I know Merritt and Parish can sometimes crank a few out from time to time. Parish more than Merritt. So I think for us that's where we need to to go heavy. With the with the scoring and, and give ourselves more opportunities to score because I think that we should have them covered defensively. Yeah, so so Pros, you did mention it's an eight point game, and I think you're exactly right here because if you look at GWS's draw, if if we get over GWS next week, they then get to play Port Adelaide, who you know are fourth and have struggled against top eight sides, but we saw them put away St Kilda this weekend, so hopefully you expect they do the same GWS. Then they get Geelong. Now that's to be down in Geelong, whether or not that is there or not, we'll wait and see. But even if it's in the Gold Coast, you'd still think Geelong would handle them fairly comfortably. They then run into Richmond. You know, Dusty Martin out for the season. Obviously, Richmond are going to be much weakened, but they're still going to be dangerous. And they'll still be trying to hunt for a top eight spot. So again, I think GWS are in trouble there. Then they get Carlton in the last round. So it sort of comes down to next week, if we beat GWS, we've sort of knocked a contender out, really, haven't we? Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, it's the kind of game where if we can get up for that, I'm not saying it does give us a free whack at both Sydney and the Bulldogs, because ideally we do win the Sydney game and we might have to, but it really is our season-defining one because if we lose that game, then effectively we can shut up shop and, you know, then we'll probably get swamped over by some of the chasing pack. But it, it's certainly a winnable game, as we've already discussed. And to be honest, our run home is actually looking pretty damn decent. So, I mean, it, it's all to play for this week. And I'd be disappointed if we didn't put in the performance that sort of warranted the occasion. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and Mr. B, if you look at the 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 sides around us uh, next week. Fremantle have Sydney, um, who obviously just beat GWS. West Coast West Coast and St Kilda play each other. And then Richmond have, have Geelong. So, so really, if you look at those games and say, okay, West Coast beats St Kilda, Fremantle loses, Richmond loses, and we beat GWS, then all of a sudden we're a game clear in the eight. We're then six, we're a game and a half clear plus percentage on GWS. It really does set us up for a strong run into the finals if we win next week and, and other results go away. And even if St Kilda were to say beat West Coast, that still puts us into seventh, which for mine is just just an incredible spot for this side to be, considering that the start of the year, many of us were predicting us to be in the bottom, you know, four, six um, at the foot of the ladder. Yep. I'm shocked to be sitting here as much as you guys. Uh, and I'm loving the amount of casual F words being dropped now. We're not so scared of it now, which is really nice. And to be talking about it legitimately is something shocking. Yeah, it's an interesting round coming up. The West Coast Saints could go either way. I, I think they've both had such uh, up and down seasons where I just don't know where they could stand. West Coast probably more dominant and you'd probably tip them at home, but I don't know, the Saints have been showing us that they're capable of, of the upset or they could just be bringing wet towel pressure. And, yeah, same with Richmond and Geelong. It's a real, be a really interesting game. I, I think that'll be a really fun one to watch. I actually can't look forward to that. It would help for Richmond to lose for us. But, yeah, it's. I remember the last few years that we've been in finals contention, we haven't really made it our opportunity. It's more been, oh, if this person wins and if these guys lose and, we managed to pick one out of the two games, and yeah, possibly you could make it. Whereas I feel 
the chance, the opportunity with this run home has really given us the uh, opportunity to put it on our own terms and to, to really make a claim into finals. And, and if we were to make that and go, yep, yeah, we, we made this happen because we put a string of really good games together and we're standing here on our own two feet without having to wait for other people to win or lose. And I'd really like to see that, hopefully. It, it does really feel like now, for the first time at the pointy end of the season in a very long time, that, that we have our destiny in our own hands. We, are, we aren't relying on somebody else to, to, to lose for us to fall into the eight. It does feel like we're starting to maybe approach the eight with a bit of momentum. Now, this could all change next Saturday if we lose to GWS. But it, should we get the win next week, then, then we really will just have that, that wave of momentum to move on into the, into the pointy end of the season. And who knows, once you get to the, the first week of, of September, as, as with the Bulldogs showed in 2016, absolutely anything is possible. But, but I, I think we'll leave it there for this evening, lads. Um, Pross, I'll, I'll turn to you. Any, any final thoughts before we sign off for this evening? Fuck Carlson. <laughs> Fuck Carlton is always a good final thought. Uh, Mr. B, any final thoughts from you? Uh, maybe just ditto Bonds and uh, let's hope we can get to some matches before the end of the season. Yeah, it would be great to actually finally get to a game once again before the end of the year. I was, I did manage to make it to the Adelaide game last week and I was certainly not, I was actually planning on um, going to the North one today. It was certainly not something I was considering last Friday, sitting there watching that just over a week later, we'd all be back locked down and, and, and the game would be back on the Gold Coast and we'd all be in hubs again. But it is what it is. And thank you once again, ladies and gentlemen, for listening this evening. As always, if you do want to be part of the podcast, just reach out. We're always happy to have new voices on and we will see you again next week and, and hopefully we'll be celebrating yet another Bombers win. 